Thank you, Brother Terry. If you brought your copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to look at a couple of verses from 1 Timothy chapter 1. This morning I'm going to be sharing with you a sermon that I've simply entitled A Glorious Greeting as we began to do a series study on the book of 1 Timothy as we continue with our yearly theme of Mountain View Baptist Church committed to returning to the Word. 1 Timothy chapter 2, a lot for us to read verses 1 and 2. Before we do, let's just have a word of prayer. I'm having some problems with my voice, and so I'd like for you to pray for me as I lead a prayer. Father, thank you for an opportunity we have now to, to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to sing and to sing praise, sing hymns, and Lord, to pray for each other. And now we've come to open your word. Help us to understand, Lord, the authority of the scripture. Help us to understand that it is the infallible, the inerrant word of God. Help us, we pray, Lord, not to be the readers of it, just the hearers of it, but Lord, that we might apply what we hear, uh, Lord, in our daily life. Thank you for what you're going to do today. I ask you to help me, Lord, as I share that you'll give me clarity of voice. Father, that you'll help me that I might preach your word, might be filled with the Holy Spirit. May you be honored and glorified uh, in this message this morning. Thank you for speaking to our heart through your word. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> we'll look at verse 1 and 2 just as an introduction to the book and the message, A Glorious Greeting. I believe God has something for us to, to learn today. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, peace, from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, in their book, Health, Wealth, and Happiness, the authors David Jones and Russell Wooldridge highlights a disturbing trend that's found in the church today. I'll quote them. A new gospel is being taught today. The new gospel is perplexing. It omits Jesus and it neglects the cross. Again, a new gospel is being taught today. The new gospel is perplexing. It omits Jesus and it neglects the cross. The authors James and Russell, they reported in their book about 46% of self-proclaimed Christians in the United States agree with the idea that God will grant material blessings, material riches to all believers who have enough faith. 46% of Americans believe that if you have enough faith, God will bless you with material riches and with prosperity. The teaching has become known as the prosperity gospel. The problem of the prosperity gospel is that it leaves out the central elements of the true gospel. It leaves out the finished work of Christ on the cross. And it leaves out the forgiveness of sin. 
Not only is it a false gospel, not only is it sweeping the United States, but we're told that it's sweeping the entire world. The point is, false prophets, false teachers are alive and well today as they were in the time of Paul and Timothy at the church at Ephesus. Paul was dealing with false prophets there at the church at Ephesus. They were alive and well in that first century church there at Ephesus. Now Paul, he looks at these false prophets, these false teachers, those who are teaching things that oppose and are contrary to the word of God. And Paul looks at their teaching, and really Paul considers it uh, likened unto a cancer that had to be, they had to be removed, they had to be cut out of the fellowship because what they were preaching uh, was destroying the lives of people. Therefore, the message of, of the believers in the church of Ephesus is the same message that the believers at Mountain View Baptist Church and believers everywhere, uh, that same message is just the fact that we are to stand on the truth of God's word and we're to fix our hope on the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, if you will, at verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He begins with this thing, a strange idea perhaps to some, but evidently the truth of the word. He begins by saying that the church was God's ideal. The church as it is, is God's ideal. Uh, it, it wasn't man's ideal. The institution of the church was God's ideal. You say, well, Brother Sammy, really, do, do you not think that we understand that? Do you not think that we, we don't know that the church is God's ideal? Well, uh, we don't run the church. Uh, I don't run the church as a pastor. Uh, deacons don't run the church. The people in the pew, the laity, they don't run the church. The Bible simply tells us that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, Colossians 1 verse 18. And so we don't have a, a pastor-run church. We don't have a presbyter-run church. We don't have a pope-run church. Christ is the head of the church. We have a church polity. It's called a congregational polity where the church comes together after following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and sets the, the polity for the church. That's a, that's a Baptist way of doing things because we feel like that's what the scripture teaches. The songwriter puts it this way. The songwriter said the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ the Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood he bought her and for her life. He died. And so the church belongs to Jesus Christ. He founded it by his life. He founded it by his death. He founded it by his resurrection. And since Pentecost, he's been adding to the church by his Holy Spirit. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. Therefore, what makes matters uh, worse in all of Timothy is that others had came in to the church and they began to teach a false prophet. You see, what, what we really need to understand about the church is that it belongs to God. 
the most important thing of the church is the word of God. It's not uh, our website. It's not our worship style. It's not uh, attendance statistics. It's not how much money people give. What really matters most is what the Lord of the church has said. And that's what the book of Timothy is about. It's instruction to the church and what the church needs to be. And so we want to look at that this morning. First, verse 1 there, you'll see the authority given to Paul. He said, I, Paul, an apostle. Now that should get our attention. When Paul, when the Bible begins by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul had credentials as an apostle. He didn't go by Reverend Paul. He didn't go by Dr. Paul. He didn't go by Brother Paul. He didn't go by by Clergy Paul. He went by the Apostle Paul. And there's a reason for that. He was the Apostle Paul, which means it should cause us to listen up, give heads up for the one who is sharing in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and throughout that book because he had been appointed to be a a special representative of the king of the universe. He was appointed as an apostle. And so now, you know, he's an apostle. He wasn't like the majority of the apostles in that he, he never followed Jesus during his earthly ministry while Jesus' ministry was being carried on on earth. Paul wasn't a follower of his then. Uh, he, he was an apostle as the others were as far as he didn't see the Lord prior to his ascension. But, however, he had a personal encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. The point being, the former persecutor of the church was appointed to the ministry by Jesus Christ himself. He was an apostle. He was a representative of the Lord God of the universe. He was an apostle. If you'll look over to verse 12, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, he says, And I thank God Jesus our Lord, which hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And so this is something that Paul just didn't choose to be an apostle, but it was something that God put him in that position. So he was put into the position as an apostle. He had a personal encounter with Jesus. He was a persecutor of the church. You remember, he was going to Damascus to persecute Christians and to to put them to death and to arrest some, to persecute them. And, And all of a sudden, he hears a voice from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I'm sure like, Uh, many today, Saul didn't understand how he was persecuting the church or how he was persecuting the Lord. He thought he was persecuting this this new belief, this Christianity. He was a Pharisee and he was a, he thought to be a godly man. And so all of a sudden he finds out from a voice in heaven that he was persecuting the one that he thought he loved, God himself. He said, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And so just please remember this. When you have a temptation to persecute the church, being the body of Christ or the preachers or the deacons or the teachers or the members of the body of Christ, you're not persecuting those individuals, my friend. You are persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When you persecute the body of Christ, you are persecuting the Lord. And so please remember that. Paul came to a realization that it wasn't just people he was persecuting, he was persecuting the Lord himself. And so Paul went on to be the greatest missionary 
that you find in the history of the church. He would author uh, a great portion of the New Testament. Therefore, when you look at verse 1 and you see Paul, an apostle, that should grab our attention. That should cause us to set up because the words have been written by the apostle Paul, the one who had authority to write these words. And so first you have the authority. But notice in verse 1 he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God. By the commandment of God our Savior. And so he, had, he was an apostle. He had this authority as an apostle. And also he was an apostle by Jesus Christ been given this commandment of God. The word commandment there stresses the authority in which he had. He had been given a commandment. The point is, Paul had a direct charge from God Almighty. He had this direct charge from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to carry out his ministry. God says, this is what I want you to do, and that was a command from God. And so Paul set out to finish that that ministry, to write this book in particular to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus. And so part of his ministry was to write this letter to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus, and by the way, to write it to us. This is not written to someone excluding us. This is written to us also. And so the point is he had this direct charge from God. Another point of of it is that it was mandatory, mandatory. That word, that uh, English word command there comes from a Greek word which which really um, refers to a, a royal command. When a king would give a command, uh, you didn't object to the command. You didn't argue with the king because you knew the command was mandatory. You knew the command had to be carried out. Same word used here. So Paul, Timothy, the church at Ephesus, all of us are under orders from the sovereign Lord of the universe. And so when you read the book of 1 Timothy, you're hearing a message from God himself carried out by an apostle that was commanded to write this letter. Now remember, please remember, that Scripture carries with it authority. Scripture carries with it authority. When you read your Bible, the Scripture has an authority. It has a, it's authoritative. It has a mandate. It's, it's inspired by God, 2 Corinthians 3.16. 2 Peter 1.21 says, Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So God used the apostles, which were fallible men, to write the infallible word of God. And so when you read your Bible, it's just not a message from a man called Paul. It's a message from God himself. And with that comes scriptural authority. So God used Paul as an apostle to write his message to Timothy, to the church at Ephesus, and to us today. today. So therefore, if you would, please remember the reason why Paul and the church at Ephesus and everyone else needs to submit to this letter is because it is breathed out by God himself. Imagine that. Now, it's, it's easy for some to accept some scripture. It's difficult for some to accept some other scripture. But let me, let me remind you that all scripture is God-breathed. It's, it's breathed out by the word of God or by the, by the breath of God. 
Let me share some things that we love to hear in the Bible. We'll quote, uh, we'll quote John chapter 3, verse 16 through 20. Uh, that's, that's on the screen for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You like that? It sounds good, and we'll agree with that, don't we? We like that message that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a good message. That's the gospel. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus, through his son, might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation. The light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so we enjoy reading that because we know that that's true, and we accept that as fact. We accept that as God's word. If we say, well, how, do you, how does a person come to know Christ? We'll say, well, the Bible says that we need to believe on Jesus. We need to trust him. We believe that, and that's accepted as scripture. But let's look at Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, look at verses 1 through 7. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. We'll share that with you. Familiar passage. He says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So he's describing this new heaven, this new earth. In verse 2, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. This is really good. This is describing this new heaven, this new earth that God has for us. I heard a great voice out of the heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That's scripture. That's God's word. Verse 4, Revelation 21, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, neither shall there be any pain, for the former things are passed away. I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? Amen. I'm looking forward. That's going to come about. This is God's word. It has scriptural authority. It's infallible. It is the word of God. We'll agree with this. Verse 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for the words are true and faithful. And he said unto me in verse 6, It is done. I like the way that is, just like it's all of a sudden, it's done. I am Alpha Omega, verse 6, The beginning, the end, I'll give unto him that is a thirst, the fountain of the water of life freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I'll be his God, he shall be my son. And so he's talking about this new heaven and this new earth, and we're moving there one day. We talk from time to time, people like moving into a brand new home, but one day we're going to move into a brand new world, described here in Revelation chapter 21. This old world, uh, with all of its beauty, and as beautiful as it, as it is, and things that we've seen and been and explored, and we've, no, we've noticed the beauty of this world, it has nothing to compare to the world that we're going to one day after we leave this place. And so chapter 21, verse 5 through 8, speaks about this beautiful place, and we're going to be heir to all things, and God gave us his son, and, and he gave us his spirit, and then he gives us uh, himself, and, and we're going to be He's going to be our God. I mean, it's going, to be, it's going to be great and wonderful. We look forward to that because we know it's going to take place. But look at verse 20, look at verse 8 in Revelation 21. He says, but the fearful 
and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now that's hard to accept at times for some people, but that's scriptural. That's God's word. It's going to come about. It's going to happen. God, God tells us in his word, it's, infall- it's the infallible word of God. It's the inspired word of God. We know that it's going to take place. And what is he saying in that verse 8? He's saying that all the kind, the kind of persons that make, this, make the cities of this earth wicked and evil, the, these people that commit all of these sins, these sin that has wrecked and ruined this world, uh, God has determined that they won't ruin the world to come. They're not going to be there. They're not going to that world. They're not going to be there. The unbelieving are going to be cast into a lake of fire. The abominable. You'd expect him to say the abominable, the murderers, the unbelieving. It all starts with unbelief. And so God says, look, this is the perfect place that I'm going to prepare for you. And these are the ones that are not going to be there. They're not going to wreck that world like they've wrecked this world. And friend, listen. If you fall in that category, this is just as sure as you trust in Jesus Christ, you'll have eternal life. Just as sure as that is true, if you reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to miss that beautiful world that he has prepared for his people. You'll miss it. And so it's scriptural authority. God's word is our foundation to stand on when it seems like the world around us is falling apart. And it is. We see that every day. So in times like these, we just need to hear God's word, and then we need to submit to God's word. See, when, when Paul writes this letter, the church at Timothy was, was called to pastor, was going through a very difficult time. Ephesus was a large city. It was a diverse city. It was kind of a commercial city. The temple of Artemis was there, and because of that, you had a lot of cultism and, and because of the cults, you had magic, and you had sorcery, and you had soothsaying. And Christians also were just physically being put to death. And to top it all off with all that going on, you had some false teachers and false preachers, prophets, coming into the church. And so Pastor Timothy, he needed some encouragement, and he needed some instruction. And so he gets it in the latter part of verse 1. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. There's his encouragement. He needed the authority, the commandment, and now the hope. And so Paul, you know, he, he, uh, he just simply shares with Timothy, listen, Jesus Christ is our Savior God is our Savior, Christ is our hope. Someone said this, I forget who it was, but they said that Christianity is a religion of personal pronouns. I like that. Personal pronouns. We don't worship an unimportant deity. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't worship a God that's far off somewhere that doesn't care anything about us, but we worship uh, our God, our God, our Savior, our Jesus, our hope. Notice what he said there. He says, God, our Savior. God delivers us from sin and the consequence from sin. He's the true source of our salvation. He planned it from the very beginning, and then God's plans for our salvation were carried out by his son, Jesus Christ, 
who is our hope? Jesus. So we have hope for the future because of what Christ did in the past and what he's doing in the present. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3. And I'd like for you to look at verse 2 and 3. Notice what he says. 1 John 2, 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are the sons, we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure, speaking of Jesus. So there in verse 1, we have the authority, and we have the commandment, and we have the hope. But notice it's addressed to a young man by the name of Timothy. Verse 2, Unto Timothy, my son, my son in the faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times we kind of brush off the greeting when you start reading a chapter of the Bible or the first, uh, the first chapter of the Bible, the first verse. But what God is saying here to Timothy, and he says to us, regardless of, of uh, what you're going through, he deals with his people through those ways, through grace, through mercy, through peace. So don't lose heart, whatever you're going through right now. And that's what he's telling Timothy. And we'll see this a little more as we go on through the book. But don't lose heart, Timothy. My son, in faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from Jesus Christ. Don't lose heart. And after Paul's salutation, he, he begins two major topics. And these deal with his with a pastoral topic and then a personal topic. And so we're going to look at those in the weeks to come. He tells Timothy how to have an effective church, and then he goes through the church and he gives the responsibility for the pastor, the responsibility for the men, the responsibility for the women, the responsibility for the children, the responsibility for deacons and for teachers. He covers the whole gamut inside the church and what our responsibility is to have where we can have an effective church. Now I want to leave you with a question. The question is simply this. Do you accept the scripture as the inerrant, the infallible word of God? Do you believe with all of your heart that this right here is the word of God? Now let me just say this. You can't take this like a, like a, uh, a buffet. You can't say I believe some, don't believe the other. You can't say that. You got to take all of it. You got to take all of it. You can't say I believe John three sixteen through twenty, but I don't believe Revelation chapter twenty one verse eight, where all these people that are are uh, adulterers and fornicators and those that are committing all types of sexual sin, that they won't find their place in a hell of a lake of fire. I don't believe that, brother Sammy. Well, you can't just believe some and not believe at all. And so the question I leave with you is, do you accept the scripture as the infallible, the inerrant word of God? Have you, have you yourself succumbed to the authority of the scripture? Do you seek to obey the scripture? That's one way you know if you're a Christian or not. It's whether you obey the scripture. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? So you just can't accept some of this and just disregard the rest. 
So how, are you, do you take this as God's word? And then if you take it as God's word, are you obeying God's word? Have you accepted some, reject the other? Friend, I'm going to tell you something. That's serious stuff. You know you're a Christian because of what you do with this. Now, you're not saved by works. I'm not saying that. But a fruit of your salvation is that you obey the Scripture. And so if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you'll never go to heaven until you do. That's his word. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Not by, by the church or doing good, being good, or, or not doing all these worldly things, not trying to be good. Uh-uh. He says, you, you have to trust me. You have to choose to follow me. Follow me. Now, if you haven't done that, you're going to miss heaven. And that's what God's word says. Now, if you've done that and you've rejected some other things and you've backslidden and you're not, your life is not what it should be and it's a poor testimony to, to your friends and to your family and your relatives and your neighbor, then you need to get some things straightened out with God. Because chastisement is a serious thing when it's taught in the Bible. And you need to understand that. And so this morning, the invitation is simple. If you trust God's word and you believe in the Holy Spirit's convicted you today that you're lost and you need a Savior, and that Savior is only Jesus Christ, you need to come today and accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. And then if you've done that and your life is not what it should be, and your testimony is leading more people to hell than it is to heaven, you need to come and get things worked out with God. You can't have some. You can't have some without the other. It's, it's, it's God's word all together. It's his holy word. So let me encourage you today. If you're struggling today, the Holy Spirit's beckoning you to come in rededication of life, you need to come today. Don't put that off. It's too serious to put off. But if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, you need to come. And we're going to look at 1 Timothy and see what our responsibility is where our responsibility is as the part of the body of Christ. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to open your word. We know it's the inspired word of God. We know it's the infallible word of God. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, through from the first chapter to the last chapter of the book. And so today I pray for each person here. For those who have never trusted Christ, Lord, today I pray they'll realize your love for them, that you came and you died on the cross for their sins. You were buried, you arose again, you ascended into heaven. One day you're coming again. And those that belong to you will move from this old world that's corrupt by sin to a new world where sin came in. And I pray for those, Lord, who have trusted you, but for whatever reason they've walked away, they've stepped away. And help them realize the seriousness of sin. Help them to realize that the wages of sin is death. Which simply means that anybody that dilly dallies around in sin is going to kill them. So Lord I pray today that they would listen to your Holy Spirit. And make a decision in their life. Before it's everlasting too late. And so we that's our prayer today. Other decisions that are, need to be made and transfer membership or to just come in prayer. God, just uh, lead, lead people. May they follow your spirit as you draw them today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.